You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. You can run up an $8,000 bill in an ER like that, said Dr. Evan Ratner. As he explained, he has led many ER suites and he knows the games people play there. On my birthday this year, a dinner pal had a massive coronary on the way to celebrate. And for 70 minutes, they were not able to resuscitate him. I'm in my first ER now waiting for Vaughn to arrive an hour and a half later. So he was the only code red that night and he was admitted certainly brain dead because it only takes a few minutes of no oxygen for that to happen. Yet the admitting doctor, the cardiologist, and several nurses, quote unquote, worked on him. To what end? I don't know. The man was morbidly obese. He was in his 70s. He was racked by every kind of addiction. Um, They decided to see, though, if he was an organ donor prospect. Really? Well, that took four days and several other CT scans and other pricey procedures, biopsies, etc. Why? Because of the games people play. Evan knows, we all know, Medicare even knows, they still play the game. So I live in a future without games, without three-card Monty middlemen and shell games with complex bills and rich systems chasing the poor in courts and advisors with slick, undisclosed commission arrangements. Uh, The chief revenue officers with buku tricks up their sleeves to do everything they can to ratchet up revenues. It's a future where we all win and not some $5,571 bill for sitting in a waiting room. Actual result of this week. I saw another one for $238 eye drops and another bill I saw for $60 ibuprofen, a single pill. They tell the story how emergency room visits are squeezing patients with ridiculous fees. So meet two gentlemen who are changing that equation with Rosencare. Ashley Bacow and Kenneth Aldridge are the dynamic duo leadership team. You've met them before on this show. And you'll remember that Harris Rosen 30 years ago asked why not opt out of legacy health benefits. And since he has saved the 6,000 room Rosen Hotel Group over $430 million, much of which was given back to a generation of Tangelo Park students, 100% of which graduate high school. That equivalent graduation rate in Houston Independent School District where I live is a tiny fraction of that. And 75% of those students graduate college. And again, a tiny fraction of that will graduate from most public schools. Why? Because it's fully paid for by Mr. Rosen. So the gangs evaporated in the 90s and never came back. Turnover is one-sixth the hotel industry average. Absenteeism is far below the industry average because you have care on site. And if you want a great culture, motivator. If you want to build culture, you make people feel safe in their health care. And that's what Mr. Rosen has done with Rosen Care. So you can get superb exercise facilities right on site where the hotels are. And you only have a $5 copay every time you go visit a doctor. 
and you're on the clock for all exams, all workouts. So let's go ahead and jump right into this. Ashley and Kenneth, how are you doing? Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Um, so let's start with you, Kenneth. Tell us about some of the outcomes that you're getting with your programs. I know you do smoke cessation. I know you do pre-pregnancy counseling. I also know you do diabetes and pre-diabetes counseling, as well as hypertension counseling. So you're focused on the chronic issues that are really the most costly uh, issues for any company. What are you all doing and what kind of metrics are you seeing as a result? Well, let's start with the, uh, the, the pregnancy. Uh, so on the pregnancy stand front, um, to give you a metric, in Orlando, the premature rate is about 10, I think it's like 10 or 10.5% uh, premature rate. At Rosen, we're running a little over 7%, which is, which is a great number. I mean, we don't want to have any premature babies, yet um, we do have some mothers that come to us and maybe they've had several premature babies prior to working at Rosen Hotels. And so if we can get them from their previous pregnancy at 26 weeks, which could cost us hundreds of thousands to even millions of dollars, if we can get them to even 34 weeks or 33 weeks, then that saves number one, the patient, but number two, saves us on the healthcare dollars. So we, we, I don't ever anticipate ever having a 0% premature rate, especially if we have a high-risk population of 56% of the pregnancies are high-risk. But having a number of 7% is, um, in, in my eyes, spectacular. And again, knowing that we have you know, twins that are high-risk or uh, advanced maternal age where somebody might be 45 or close to 50 having a pregnancy. So those type of things, you know, we're, we're proud of our programs, having a nurse, having uh, that nurse responsible for every part of the continuum to make sure that they're going to their appointments, and also the uh, prenatal vitamins. <clears throat> Another area that you had mentioned was on the smoking cessation. You know, back in 2008, uh, Rosen Hotels moved to a uh, no smoking policy. So we've still got our programs available for smoking cessation, but yet, you know, we don't have people coming to work for us anymore um, who are previous smokers because it's part of our policy. On the hypertension front, um, we hold, we, we monitor uh, patients taking any kind of cardiovascular uh, medication. So we're always looking to see are individuals getting the medications that they need? And number two, are they taking them? So we run compliance reports and then we can drill it down, down to the individual patient to make sure that they're getting what they need and also taking what they need. So in the cardiovascular realm, we're running 95% medication compliance. And the other piece, the other part of it, um, that other percentage, they're being followed by the nurses to figure out, okay, oh, it, it's because you flew to Haiti and you didn't have enough um, medicine at that time or whatever it might have been, but we're always trying to mitigate those uh, kind of risks because if individuals are not taking their hypertension intensive med meds, could lead to high blood pressure and a stroke or even a heart attack. So on that realm, we're running about 95%. On the hypertension compliance, meaning their blood pressure is 140 over 90 or below, we're right around the 74%. Now, we're still working towards getting and improving that number, but still 74% um, compliance is still something to be very proud of. Uh, on the diabetic realm, 
our diabetics, we're monitoring again to make sure that they're getting what they need, as in oral medications. Are they getting their foot checks? Are they getting their eyes checked? Uh, are they getting the appropriate care that they need? And on the diabetes realm, we're running about 95% also on the medication compliance. And so we have all of these programs. We have nurse case managers who, as we drill down in the, the data, we can make sure that they're assigned to, or if they're already signed, assigned to figure out, okay, what's going on with that individual? Maybe the individual didn't know that they could get it for free. Maybe the individual didn't understand um, how to take the medicine. I mean, there's many reasons why individuals are either non-adherent or non-compliant. And some of those can be uh, that they're afraid of the medicine. Maybe they started it and they didn't realize that they'd have a little GI upset for a little while. But that's where we can jump in and making sure that they understand why it's important to take those medications. Listen, there's still people in your population that think sucking on a copper penny is going to reverse the flu. I mean, you've got all kinds of cultures in your employment base. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we, we, we also are, you know, coaching and counseling individuals who believe in voodoo um, or believe that they drink XYZ tea and it will um, heal their high blood pressure or something like that. So we, we try and work with that individual and, you know, guide them to where they need to be. Yes. And um, Ashley, let's talk for a second about you. I, first of all, I cannot imagine, Kenneth, why 5% wouldn't say yes to free health care, but I faced that myself with my own company. I had to go around to those folks that weren't subscribing, and I said, what part of free do you not understand? Like, isn't that the most powerful word in the English language? And they just, they finally got it when I started talking about their kids' health conditions and the long waits at Medicaid clinics and the long waits to get a well visit. It's 30 days here in Texas before you can see a doctor that's a Medicaid doctor. And if you go on a sick day, you usually got to schedule three or four days in advance. But if the kids are really sick and you want to go to the ER, you're going to have to wait sometimes. You'll have to take a day out of work. So just reminding them that free means free and less aggravation and less time suck. So actually, my question of you is, why isn't every red-blooded American CFO buying Proventure and Rosencare when it's just so obvious how huge the benefits are? You know, I, I, I think uh, we are at um, we are at a tipping point. Um, uh, employers for years would come in. They would look at what we were doing and um, they didn't seem to do much with it. They thought it was quite intriguing. But again, um, maybe it was too heavy of a lift for them. Um, you know, pushing the easy button, as we say, is just kind of staying where you are right now, maybe with a traditional carrier and continuing to have the uh, the 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 unsustainable trajectory of, of, uh, of cost increases and, and lower coverage. Doing what we're doing requires some effort. Um, you have to think out of the box a little bit, but the beauty of it these days, you know, we are able to spend time. If an employer, you know, says, boy, you know, Ashley, I, I don't want to do this all by myself. You know, we can help them. There are others out there who can who can help them along the way. So I, I really believe that um, you're going to see more and more employers over the next few years uh, begin to do maybe not everything that we're doing, but certainly uh, dip their toes in the water. And the more that do this and the more that, that, that tell the more who tell others about their success, I believe we are going to see a huge change in, in the face of healthcare over the, over the next decade. 
So um, Walmart last year shaved a billion dollars off their healthcare spend by an intense focus on primary care, but also centers of excellence, meaning here's the best places to go for this type of surgery, this type of imaging, these type of diagnostics. Here's where they have the most success at the least cost. And by, by steering their employees to those locations, a billion dollars to Walmart with a 1.6% margin is like 96 billion in sales. So they would have had to open up over 1,400 stores to equivocate a billion dollars dropping to the bottom line. And I, I'm thinking that maybe the, <clears throat> if the employer learned a different way of thinking about the savings of healthcare, as this is money you don't have to go generate in sales tomorrow, maybe they would wake up. I don't know. I mean, do you think that $96 billion number is kind of a wake-up call for Walmart? I do. And, and that is one of the things when we meet with the, with the C-suite, um, you know, we talk about the, the uh, you know, we, we tell them, look, look at your past three or four years of trend, okay? And if it's going up at 5, 10, 12%, whatever the number is, run that out for 10 years, right? And then if you were to use our model or something similar to it and, and run that out for 10 years, and then that, that delta um, at the end of 10 years, if you and, and just tell them, you know, or ask them, if they would, would um, run that through their metrics to show what that would do to their EBITDA. And um, that really is an eye opener when you just talk to them in their terms about increasing the value of their company, but at the same time, having happier and healthier employees that want to stay with them. So run the numbers on, on the, the, the diminished turnover and the, the numbers are staggering. Oh my gosh. Yes. My whole healthcare spend is about three days of turnover. If I can reduce turnover by three days, I've just paid for my benefit. And, and no question in my mind that turn, with zero turnover, it uh, used to be 20%. That is a no-brainer for us. So um, again, looking at the Walmart as an example, a billion dollars, I'm going to say that the average retail store is going to have like a 17x EBITDA, maybe it might be 20x. That's a $17 billion valuation that they added to their EBITDA. Um, with this healthcare reduction. So that's another way to look at it is you don't have to go out and sell uh, open 1400 stores or you don't, or you just got yourself a bump in the stock market and you're scaring Amazon. Absolutely. Do you ever, um, well, I hate to say sell from fear, but do you ever tell them, um, I know you may not want to do this, but we're also talking to your competitors. Yes, you know, a absolutely. When they hear about the competitive advantages of uh, lowering their cost, increasing the value of their company, they are going, you know, who else is doing this out there? Because let me tell you what, if, if, if there is a, you know, a hotel across the street that's doing something uh, that is, is putting them at a great competitive advantage, uh, that you, can, you can bet that Harris Rosen would want to do the same thing and any other CEO would want to do the same thing. But they're afraid to because they're afraid to lose the brand that they've been attracted to, or maybe they're afraid of getting fired because it's such a just a gigantic step away from what they've done for 50 years. Yeah, certainly. You know, the, the the safest thing to do, right, is to push that easy button that I talked about. If you if you are in a tight labor market and you're you're you know doing some of the things that we're doing, and for whatever reason, let's say you didn't roll it out well, and uh, you, and you know you started having some hiccups and some comments from your employees, that tends to uh, 
tends to put a little fear in, in employers and causes them not to do it. But I, I think the key is it's, it's all about, you know, setting expectations with the C-suite, setting the expectations with the staff, setting expectations with all the users of healthcare. And once you do that um, and, and you roll it out properly, uh, I believe it's uh, the, the kind of concerns that most employers had initially are, um, are kind of washed away or certainly mitigated uh, a good bit. Let's talk about retention, especially for technology companies that are based in Florida and your market. I'm going to make the assumption you can look any one of your employees in the eye and say you've got the best health benefits of any hotel chain in the country and have no qualms about that statement. But if a tech company can make that same statement to their high value employees that are producing at the rate of maybe eight or 10 other employees because they're rock stars, what do you talk about with regards to retention of key people? Kenneth, do you want to? touch on that? So in regards to retention, um, I would focus on from the Rosen Hotel side, you know, the college benefits that are available from the, you know, that helps retain our employees, not only on the healthcare, everybody understands the healthcare side of Rosen Hotels, um, but also these other benefits that Rosen Hotels offers helps people stay with the company. Number one is college. I mean, those individuals, those tech individuals will want to get uh, other degrees, whereas the hotels will pay for it after three years. And on top of that, you know, if they have any children that are going to be going to college, that is another benefit that is paid for by Rosen Hotels. And on top of that, the 401k, on top of that, the um, CEU or continuing education programs, on top of that are the uh, 401k benefits. Uh, there, I mean, so Rosen Hotels offers a lot of other benefits on top of the healthcare provision. And I want to remind the listeners, if they didn't catch last week's show, that while turnover in the hotel industry is around 74%, your turnover numbers are in the low teens. So you really actually don't have a real turnover problem. You just got, uh, I mean, it's actually not something y'all have to worry much about. Correct. Correct. Yes. Secret weapon number two. Well, um, is there anything that I neglected to ask you, Kenneth, about your outcomes that I should have asked you about? Well, I mean, so, you know, not only do we have the preventative programs within the medical center and then also to the, you know, controlling the chronic care conditions. But we also offer within the company, Rosen Hotels, a program called uh, Workout uh, for Wellness, where we're offering various uh, programs and incentives. So we have uh, spinning classes within the company. We have Zumba, Tai Chi, kickboxing, uh, Camp Gladiator. We have all of those programs where individuals can tap into, participate, and achieve uh, achieve wellness, and it also helps helps them with uh, their incentive program. Um, so that helps us on the medical side because if people are doing, you know, exercising and eating right, and Mr. Rosen actually pays for and subsidizes individuals who want to join. Um, it's called WW now, which is Weight Watchers, and those are offered throughout the entire company. Those are valuable assets to the overall uh, uh, healthcare system that we offer. Ron, I'd, I'd, I would also like to add that um, there might be employers who are who are listening to us today, and for whatever reason, depending on where they came in on the conversation, may think that they must have an on-site clinic in order to make this work. Um, one does not 
have to have an on-site clinic. If they have the critical mass to make it work, I think it's awesome. But there are many, many of the uh, the, the quality uh, and cost-saving solutions that, that we offer, uh, and, and one does not have to have the on-site clinic component. Well, the key takeaway I get from today, besides that every employer is crazy not to say yes to you guys, is the um, adherence rate and the compliance rate for patients can be in the high 70s, 80s, and 90s if they have no-cost health care, meaning no deductibles in the way, no co-pays in the way, no premiums in the way. People will comply. I think most doctors listening to this may believe that it's the patient's fault that they're not getting better. And we've learned when you get the barriers out of the way that that solves a whole lot of problems for the patients. It sure does. So I want to thank you both for being on the show. Can't wait to talk to you again next. And Ashley, I'll see you again on the 9th or 10th of uh, this month next week. So looking forward to meeting you. Thank Great. you. Great. Same here. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.